I heard some people asking at dinner party, which ride were you going to go on at the show? Because it's show week. Were you on the merry-go-round in a circle? Or what was the other one, Loretta? Were you on the, or the Ferris wheel or the, or the ghost train? The roller coaster. Yes. Which, I might point out, are also technically circular. Because you think you're on a train and then for the sake of efficiency, they do bring you round to the starting point anyway, don't they? Well, if you weren't here last week, we've been talking about the circle of life and how life sometimes has circles and cycles. Sometimes we're conditioned to think linearly, but I was encouraging us last week that maybe we can reconsider our life and our worldview uh, in a circle and what would that look like if we embraced the circles and seasons of life and found balance in the long term this morning i want to continue our theme of shapes and talk about triangles and pyramids so has anyone ever been part of a pyramid scheme now's your time to own up to it no we want to talk about hierarchy and authority and that's why we're talking about triangles and pyramids hierarchy i'm sure you will agree is all around us you might face it in your workplace anyone got a boss breathes down your neck and exudes their hierarchy and authority all over your desk when you just don't want it maybe it's in education maybe you find hierarchy in your family in government, in our religious institutions, sometimes in social circles, there's particularly bossy people. Uh, it, maybe it's in healthcare or your sports teams. Maybe it's, you know, we see lots of ranks and chain of command in the military that breathes into other areas of our life. Any active service members in the house this morning? No, we've got a wife of one. Uh, that ca- Does that count? Yeah, uh, very good. So hierarchy is all around us. Uh, Jordan Peterson wrote a book called The 12 Rules for Life. Has anybody read that? Not a single person. Very good. Okay, the first rule for life that he posits is stand up straight with your shoulders back. And I just noticed everybody shuffle in their seat. Oh, yes, that's right. Posture is important. And everyone puts their shoulders back. Stand up straight with your shoulders back. His first rule for life is not just about your posture. He makes the claim that there is a deeply ingrained psychology and biology of hierarchies in our personhood and in our societies. He talks about lobsters, of all things, as an example of hierarchies where, as as an example to say, you know, this exists in many different parts of the animal kingdom and in nature because lobsters engage in fights with one another male lobsters will fight each other to establish dominance and so he makes the case for dominance hierarchies the winner the winning lobster gets a biological surge in serotonin levels and so that actually makes them more confident and upright and it changes their physiology their biology so that their shell gets harder and bigger you can tell from the actual shape of a lobster 
if they have been a recurring winner in these fights or if they have been a loser in those fights because the loser of the fights gets a drop in serotonin levels and that shapes that changes the shape and the shell of the lobster and so uh, Jordan Peterson makes the case that hierarchies are not just a social construct but are deeply rooted in our biology and they exist in all parts of earth and have done so for a very long time so we should stand up give our bodies a signal that we're doing all right in the dominance hierarchy and we're okay stand up straight with your shoulders back fake it till you make it and maybe in all the hierarchies around us we might not be so pathetic that's basically the case that he's making so i have this in the back of my mind and then i meet an aboriginal elder who was asked if you could change one thing about the world what would you change and he says well i would get rid of hierarchy and so then i was like you know mind blown just sort of like trying to think about that for about three years you know like okay so first of all why and how and what would that do and i did hadn't thought about hierarchies as a structure before and i was thinking but what about the lobster because there are hierarchies all around us and i thought that those two ideas were at odds with one another until i realized that the aboriginal elder who's saying let's get rid of hierarchy was not saying that hierarchies don't exist He's just saying we are called to rise above them and live in a different way. So Jordan Peterson unpacks some complexities of hierarchies and yet the Aboriginal elder is telling us, let's, yes, that might be natural, but we can rise above them to do and live the way that is right and just, especially in the context of the kingdom of heaven. So can you think of any other examples where the kingdom of heaven calls us to live above our biological instincts? Or is this the only case? Because if you make the case that, oh, well, hierarchies are inherent in us, does that mean that that's how we should live? Because if you have all kinds of different desires biologically, does that mean that that is the right and truest way to live? Then I started thinking, I'll just take you down the rabbit hole of my deep, dark thoughts of, oh God, what is the state of the world? And then I started thinking, well, but isn't the kingdom of God hierarchical in the first place? Because it is a kingdom after all, with a king who sits on a throne in a monarchy. Isn't that the biggest of hierarchies ever? And so I started to look into the history of where the kingdom came from and this kingdom ideal and idea with God's people, the Israelites. So the Israelites weren't always a kingdom, but they did become a king. Saul was the first king and then King David, the famous guy who wrote all the Psalms, became the good king to follow Saul. Thank God we got David. Saul was rubbish. And then it went downhill from there. And everyone was like, oh, can't we have another David? God. But it wasn't always a kingdom. They were God's people before they were a kingdom. And so how did they become a kingdom? In, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Israelites look around 
at the other nations and they see the other nations have got kings. They have got judges and prophets and God is their king. And they look around at the other nations and they say, we want a king too to be like them. So is this actually God's plan? Or is it the people who are jealous of the nations surrounding them say, oh, well, what they've got? It's a bit like Eli whenever James has got anything. I want that thing. And so they too want a king. So God grants them their wish, gives them a king. But is that actually his original design for how society should be structured? He intended for Israel to be a theocracy, not a monarchy, led by him through the prophets and the judges. The people's desire was for a hierarchical structure similar to the nations around them, led and led them away from God's original purpose for them. They wanted to be ruled by a man instead of by God. They reject him to build their own thing. That reminds me of, if you go all the way back, to humans building their own thing to get up to the heavens. Triangles, pyramids, and the tower of Babel. Humans trying to build a structure to be like God. It's in Genesis chapter 11, before the prophets and the judges even. There are just people and God, and the people are united in language and purpose. They decide to build a tower that will reach the heavens. And their aim is not just architectural, but it's an attempt to elevate themselves to the level of the divine. What are they supposed to be doing? What's their command at that stage in the narrative? Be fruitful and multiply. Go and spread out. Go and populate the earth. And what are they doing? Let's all gather together in one place and build something great that shows how great we are. They're doing the exact opposite of what they've been told to do. So they try and build up their own structure. And what does God do? His response is to confound their language and make it impossible for them to continue their project. The tower is left unfinished and the people are scattered. The divine intervention is a cautionary tale against human arrogance and the dangers of hierarchical thinking that seeks to elevate humanity to a godlike status. Okay, you ready? We're going to go from the beginning all the way through to now really quickly and watch for the circle. Ray Dalio is an economist who wrote a book called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. And in that book, he argues that there are cycles that follow a certain pattern. Empires rise due to strong governance, economic prowess, and military strength, but they inevitably and eventually decline due to an overextension, internal strife, and economic instability. In essence, the circle defeats the triangle. The cyclical nature of rise and fall triumphs over the hierarchical structures that the empire might try to establish. 
You can't say the Empire without thinking of Star Wars, can you? Okay. Every time a great power rises up, the natural cycle comes back around and the civilization declines. We had the Egyptian Empire. The Egyptians were seceded by the Assyrians, who were taken over by the Babylonians, which gave rise to the Persians, the Greeks, then the Romans in Jesus' time, then the Byzantine Empire came in, the Islamic Caliphates, the Mongol Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the Spanish Empire, the British Empire, sorry, the Dutch Empire was first, the French Empire, the British Empire, then the United States rose out of World War II alongside the Soviet Union, which declined, and now we have a single world power. Are you still with me? There's a rise and a fall, and a rise and a fall. And you could do it like that. That the circle continues to spin and civilizations rise civilizations fall. Why are we talking about all this stuff? That's a good question. I hope it becomes clear at some stage. I'll, I'll keep going through my notes and we'll see if it does become clear. There's something about living in a time where if there is a cycle that goes for longer than a human lifespan, it's very difficult to see the cycle because there, there might be some people here old enough to, to remember what it was like when there were two world powers at play, the Soviet Union and, you know, uh, hands up if you remember the world with Soviet Union and the United States in conflict with one another. Well, yeah, you're wise and you carry experience. But the, the point that I want to make is that you actually remember a shift in the world power and the challenge of the world at the time. For somebody of my generation, I don't know what it feels like to live in a world where the United States is not the dominant superpower of the world. And so it's very easy when there's geopolitical shifts and movements, it's very easy to have this, oh, how are we supposed to deal with this mentality? Because it hasn't happened before in my lifetime. I don't know what it's like to experience a changing world power. And yet, if we look at the stories of the Bible and we look at the stories of history, we see that actually there are cycles and stories that continue to repeat themselves. And we can find hope in the future for how to navigate those great upheavals. How should we live knowing that triangles we build will decline to the circle of life? Well, the hope for all those rising and falling kingdoms is Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. His kingdom operates on different principles, not subject to those rise and falls of empires. Because you may find that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, and you may be uncomfortable about the rise of certain other superpowers in the world at different times throughout history. But what you can take courage in is that the kingdom of heaven does not rise and fall like the empires of this world. The kingdom of heaven is sustained and the kingdom of heaven lives here on earth 
no matter what happens to the national boundaries and no matter who is on the throne of whatever superpower we're talking about, the kingdom and the King Jesus in the kingdom of heaven remains on the throne and he is the one in which we can put our hope and our trust. At the end of his ministry, Jesus talking to his disciples, he gives them the great commission. Does anybody remember it? Matthew 28, verse 18. How does he begin? You know, we all know, go and make disciples of all nations. It's a new command, similar to be fruitful and multiply, um, after which all the disciples get together in one place. Uh, and then he has to do some work to get them going again. But uh, we all know the go and make disciples of all nations. But the beginning of that great commission, Jesus says, the reason why we should do that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's a direct quote of Jesus. I'm not making the claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he is claiming. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So the Tower of Babel, humans try to ascend to God. Here God descends to humans in the form of Jesus. And he doesn't establish a hierarchy. He just takes all the power for himself. So if I had a wallet, that would be good for an illustration. But who carries wallets anymore? If I have a bank account and all the money in my bank account is mine, how much of that money is yours? I, is this complicated? <laughs> None. It's mine. It's not yours. If all the authority in heaven and on earth, let's get ready to be humbled a little bit. If all the authority in heaven and on earth is Jesus' authority, how much of it is ours? None. So all the triangles that we build to lift up people in power over one another are all defunct when it comes to the kingdom of heaven in which Jesus holds all the authority. Now, I can give you some money out of my bank account, but it might be more like stewardship, like can you please go and buy something from the shops? So maybe he'll delegate some authority to you. And it tends to be over the spiritual powers of the world, not over people. But he can give you power, but the power is still his. Just as if I send you off to go buy something, the money is still my money. I've just given it to you for a purpose. So Jesus establishes a different kind of authority. And so I just want to wrap up this message by painting a picture of what kind of community he wants to establish and how we should operate with hierarchy and authority in the kingdom of heaven, as opposed to the ways that the world sets up hierarchies. Because Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about different parts of a body making up many parts. This is a predominant metaphor, illustration for how the body of Christ ought to work. And he's, he doesn't 
he doesn't write about an org chart of like, here's the pyramid of the church and how who's in charge of who and who's going to be the boss of which people. He says, you are all parts of a body. And then he flattens the whole thing by saying, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Neither can the hand say to the heart, I don't need you. Because all of us are a part of a body. Each of us has a role to play. And so the question is, which part of the body are you? And, we, you know, if you read carefully, Paul actually talks about genitals there a bit. So you don't want to be the genitals part. But somebody here is. And we don't know who that person is. But maybe you know. Um, maybe you're a sensitive part that needs protecting. I don't know. We don't know. If we're all parts of a body, which part are you? And this is how we determine not because the kingdom of heaven is not about titles and positions to lord power over people. The Bible specifically says that that is how the, the pagan hierarchies and structures rule themselves by ruling power over people. The, the kingdom of heaven, your place in the kingdom of heaven is determined, determined by your gifts, which tells you where you are, what role you have to play, and the responsibility that you have to play them. If you're an I, well, your job is to see stuff. Don't be like, oh, but I really want to be on the hand team. You know, like you know your place. And by the same token, if you have a gift and a responsibility which is that you're an I, other people can't do that thing. So you are going backwards on the circle if you're not contributing the gift that you have been placed there for. If you have the gift to be able to see and you refuse to see or you close your eyes, you don't make the contribution in line with your gifting, you're not fulfilling the responsibility that you have in the circle in the body of Christ. So, there are hierarchies. Nobody is denying that there are hierarchies. But we are called to live and rise above them in the kingdom of heaven so that each of us can find our own place, fulfill our responsibility, know our role, and play that part in the body of believers. And so, that is the navigation that we're called to, to navigate between two worlds. You are going to go back to other parts of your life where undoubtedly you are operating within a hierarchical triangular structure and there's nothing you can do about it. But we're called to know that our hope is in Christ and he knows we have a part to play in his body. His ultimate purpose is not that we would rule over each other with power and authority, but we would serve one another just as he served us. The example that he gave us is the example of one who's been given all authority and yet he uses that to give his own life up for his people that he loves. So I'm going to ask you three questions to close. Number one, what are you building in your life, in your different parts of your life? What are you building? Are you building a triangle or a circle? Where do you fit 
and what's your role, what's your gifting, what's your responsibility, and then how can you serve the body with the responsibility that's been given to you. Why don't you close your eyes, I'll pray for you. Father, we thank you for giving up your life and giving us the greatest example of servant leadership. We thank you, God, that we can put our hope and our trust in you, regardless of what happens in the world around us, no matter how scary or uncertain that might be, we know that your kingdom sustains, that you are with us even to the end of the age. So, Father, I pray for a great infilling of courage and wisdom as we go about our lives, navigating triangles and circles all over the place, and may we carry your love and your servanthood in every area. In Jesus' name, amen.